Hey guys, welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. to Hebrews chapter 5. We are going to be in the Psalms today, uh, but I want to start out right here uh, in Hebrews 5 because we are going to read a couple of Psalms today that I feel like as I prepared, woefully, um, like this lesson cannot encompass everything that needs to be talked about when we're dealing with these particular Psalms, but I want to highlight uh, a portion of Jesus' own character and his own experience here. And uh, the writer of this book of Hebrews is describing um, Jesus as a high priest. And it says in verse 7, during his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence Though he was God's son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, okay? Um, Turn over to Luke chapter 19. We'll just work our way backwards here. Luke chapter 19, as Jesus was entering Jerusalem... In verse 41, as he approached and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, if you knew the day, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. He's lamenting his own people as he's going into Jerusalem to, to save people. And he's weeping as he goes into the city, okay, and turn over to the left a little bit further over to Matthew chapter 27. As Jesus is preparing again to go to his death, uh, in verse 36, he says, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. He said to them, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little further, he fell face down and prayed, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And so I'm um, just looking into some instances of the life of Jesus, and it hopefully like causes us to ask some questions, I think. First of all, um, is, isn't it also written by Paul, who was an apostle of Jesus, 
Be joyful always. Right? When you read even the teachings of Jesus, he's praying to his father and he's like, man, I want my people's joy to be like ours, complete and full. And there's such this rich imagery of the joy of the Lord, right? Except it becomes a little bit more difficult uh, to be outwardly joyful or inwardly joyful when we're facing times of grief and suffering and sorrow, right? Oftentimes what can end up happening, and I don't think it's a group thing anywhere, I think there's just kind of an individual thing, is we don't really know like what to do with these passages. Like what do we do with a Jesus who is weeping as he's going... Are his guys turning around and going, you said to be joyful. Like, why are you weeping? You know, was it wrong of Jesus in the garden to be overwhelmed with sorrow? Was that faithlessness on his part? Right? I don't think it was. I think we're talking about like, there's, to, to our experience in this world, there's a lot to it, Right? Like certainly those times when we celebrate and we're praising God and everything seems to be like going really great and, and, and you've had times where you're just reading the Bible and you're just soaking it up and it's so great and relationships are great and all those things. That's like, a, those are fantastic times. And it shouldn't be like looked down on like, oh man, you're always joyful or something like that. But knowing that's a part of the human experience, but we all also know that there's this other part. There's many parts to our experience here on earth. And Jesus addressed each one of those. And I think, I know for me, I am, uh, when you're talking about an idea of like emotional health, okay, or like, like years ago, like I read this book, it was about emotional intelligence, and I scored extremely low, right? Because I didn't know what to do with like, What's supposed to happen when there's sadness? And what's supposed to happen? What are we supposed to do with that? And is it like, is that a downer for us? What if brothers and sisters are suffering? And then on top of that, uh, kind of a tradition of Christianity teaches us that everything has to be encapsulated in this time. Like we see... Like, so often we want to say, no, I'm not a Sunday-only Christian. But I want us to do everything all in 90 minutes. Express grief, express sorrow, express joy, have perfect representation, and everybody up front, and everybody singing beautifully. And we, except almost nothing we read in the Scripture is teaching us what we do when we come together here. This is just a coming together. Right? They're coming together for us to sing together. And there are times as a community, and we've, we've had to do that as a community, where we've come together grieving as a community. Right? Coming together when there's just been like just these desperate, you know, I, again, we had only been here a couple of years, and we all experienced when Austin had committed suicide. Right? I mean, this is a young brother in Christ. And that was a time of just all of us, we, did, we just had to grieve together. Right, And it would have been so like weird to pretend like everything was fine and everybody should just be okay with this because it was so difficult emotionally. 
And quite honestly, that's harder for me than going, hey, you want to know what? Let's be grateful and that will make us joyful. And honestly, I think that's true, okay? I'm not, I'm not putting that off to the side. I'm just saying is that we're going to read some things today that the scripture itself kind of guides us through this of what does it look like to be grieving, mourning, sorrowful, and how do we do that faithfully, right? Because my tendency can be to, I can feel those things and they get expressed in anger and pouting. All right. And I think this is the Psalms, like we talked about, the Psalms are really these really great you know, pieces of literature and poetry and songs that can sometimes give us words when there aren't any words. Like we don't know what to do and what's what's appropriate. And, uh, you know, we've, we've all probably thought, like, I have to be very careful what I say to God. Like, I have to be real careful because, man, what's it going to be like, okay? And so turn over to Psalm chapter 6 and... Um, and, and this is another reason, right, um, why a political system doesn't work, okay? Because a political system uses people to kind of make money and, you know, everybody's like a project and all this kind of stuff. The, the kingdom of God is we're supposed to enter into people's lives with compassion and empathy. Right to not wait for you to do something good to be able to grieve with you. Right, this is the problem when the church becomes political. Then it becomes like, well, if you did something that I don't agree with, then I'm not going to empathize with you. Okay, but we see something different here. Psalm six, and, and we'll talk about this as we go. Uh, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Don't discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are shaking. My whole being is shaken with terror. And you, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, rescue me. Save me because of your faithful love. For there's no remembrance of you in death. Who can thank you in Sheol? I am weary from groaning with my tears. I dampen my pillow and drench my bed every night. My eyes are swollen from grief. They grow old because of all of my enemies. Depart from me, all evildoers, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and shake with terror. They will turn back and suddenly be disgraced. So does any of those kind of emotions, have they ever registered on your kind of scale? Yes. Almost all of us, right? And what's interesting is, is it's like as we grow up, depending like if you've, if you've grown up in kind of like a very safe and a secure place, you may have thought like the worst thing could ever happen is for your girlfriend to break up with you, right? That's a lot of the experience that we have. We live in fairly safe environment and it's like, that's the worst. What's interesting is as we get older, like sorrow and pain and grief 
it becomes more and more like personal. It's not a theoretical thing anymore. Like it's really easy, man, we could we can preach on certain things and teach, but when it becomes painful, then it's like, well, what do you do then? And there's innumerable like different areas we could talk about. It's actually, it would be impossible to highlight every single thing, but this is, if nothing else, the perfect reason why as we like enter into the world is that we get to really know people and to draw them out because here's the truth. We can look one way on the outside and be hurting desperately on the inside, right? And sometimes Christianity can be peddled almost like superficially. Like, hey, you're happy, I'm happy, we're happy, it's all great. And the sad thing is, is there could be even people amongst us who are like, but I'm not. Like, I've suffered through desperately painful times, okay? And there's only one way that comes out, okay, is that there's a community of people that will listen and go, hey, come and talk to me. It's Christianity's not just about looking outwardly joyful all the time. There's answers for times of pain and there's answers for times of grief and there's answers when you're crying so much your pillow is just soaking wet with tears, right? Is um, there's a brother in the church down in Tallahassee, well, he's not in Tallahassee, he's somewhere else now, but um, and if there was anybody that you would look on their external appearance and go, man, this is a tough dude and... You know, he's got, he was messed up, okay? And he would agree with that. If he's even watching right now, he, he knows who he is, okay? He was messed up and he was tough and, and, you know, lived just, he was rough, man, but tough and all these kind of things. And we actually would study the Bible together and his attitude, he did not want to be a Christian, okay? He was living in Tallahassee because he legally was made to live in Tallahassee. Okay, like go live with your family who are going to help you. But part of the stipulation is you're going to go to church. And so we would study the Bible. And I remember he was just this bad, tough kid. And he would go, dude, Keith, just tell me what you want me to say. And I'll say it. <laughs> like that was his thing. He was that cool and just like, whatever. I don't need this and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, as we read and studied the Bible, he started really like, oh, man, yeah, this is. This is, there's something happening. And I remember one of the things he shared, that I didn't even know how long after this was. He said, I would go home and I would cry myself to sleep every single night. And I was like, really? Like we joked around. Like we were messing around. Like it was, it wasn't like even super deep. And it blew my mind that this guy was going home and that's what was happening. And I suspect that that happens amongst us. I do, right? And again, this is a call for a couple of things. Number one, as apprentices of Jesus, man, how do we like connect with one another in a way to have those times of going, man, we can just talk about this stuff. You know, this is, this is the essence of small group or prayer group, or family group, or whatever you want to call it, is, is having a scenario where you're going, you want to know what? We may not all collectively be able to come together and meet that need every single week, but we can do it relationally on a day-to-day -day basis where everybody is plugged in. <coughs> and so these are scary places, right? Turn over to Psalm chapter 10, and we're going to 
We're going to address this just a little bit here. Psalm 10, verse 1. Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked relentlessly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the schemes they have devised. I mean, just this first couple of verses right here. I mean, you, you just think of the categories we could be talking about, of not just pain or grief, but also injustice and tragedy and confusion and just any number of things that are going on. It's like there, there's been injustice here. For the wicked one boasts about his own cravings, the one who is greedy curses and despises the Lord in all his scheming. The wicked arrogantly think there's no accountability since God doesn't exist. I mean, you get the idea that there's like this rant going on here. Like, like God, just get them. And this is what happens. And they're so arrogant and they're so wicked. And he says, I'll never be moved from generation to generation without calamity. Cursing, deceit, and violence fill his mouth. Trouble and malice are under his tongue. He waits in ambush near the villages. He kills the innocent in secret places. His eyes are on the lookout for the helpless. He lurks in secret like a lion in a thicket. He lurks in order to seize the afflicted. He seizes them and drags them in his net. So he is oppressed and beaten down. The helpless fall because of his strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He hides his face and will never see. Rise up, Lord God. Lift up your hands. Do not forget the afflicted. Why has the wicked person despised God? He says to himself, you won't demand an account, but you yourself have seen trouble and grief, observing it in order to take the matter into your hands. The helpless entrusts himself to you. You are a helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked person. Call his wickedness into account until nothing remains of it. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully, doing justice for the fatherless and the oppressed so that the men of the earth may terrify them no more. Right? You have... The writer of this psalm, he's just pouring it out. And clearly there is some things happening. And he's like, no, that this person is pursuing me, man, they're crazy. They're unjust. They're trying to take advantage of people who can't help themselves and, and all of these things, right? I mean, even hitting on, you know, the father to the fatherless. And I think these two psalms are helpful for me in a good place to start in understanding like, well, how did faithful people interact with our Father in times of grief and anger and sorrow and suffering? And how did they do that right here, okay? So, but here's the bad news of all of this. I don't know like what everybody's experience has been this week or this month or this year. Um, but what I would hope for us to do is that we would broaden ourselves out to understand that there is craziness going on in our town right now. Like there are people experiencing this right now at this moment in our neighborhoods and maybe in our groups, maybe our friends, maybe at work, something like that is these things are actively happening, right? Uh, you have college students who are 
man, if you, I don't know if you remember college, but I remember making some really horrible decisions in college. And I didn't know what to do with that. Okay, I didn't know what to do, right? All I knew was things scared me and things would hurt me and things, and I would respond out of anger and all of these things here. But when you read this, okay, just reading this, it probably hasn't helped much at all. Right? Not that the written or the or reading the word isn't good, but we're talking about like the depth of something that takes time. And so why do we have these in here? Why when we go through the book of Psalms, we can have a, a Psalm 23 that's so amazing and encouraging and praising God and a Psalm 1 and all of these different psalms, but then you have these other psalms scattered in, right? And so here's the interesting thing. I want you to think in your mind the times when you haven't, maybe now, when you have been living in grief or sorrow or just regret, oftentimes it's one of those things we become prisoners inside of ourselves because there are things that we may regret and we're going, no one will ever find out about that. Like, it is never coming out. It's just going to be, like, staying in me, right? And here's the interesting thing about that is um, when I think of those times in my life, when I think of those times, whether it was, the like, when my father was diagnosed with ALS, I mean, that was like the world came crashing down because it's like, oh, my goodness, this is the start of something agonizingly scary to watch, right? Like, we all know about the different diagnosis. The diagnosis when you hear you have cancer. The diagnosis when you hear, man, I've lost my child. The diagnosis when you, you know, whatever it is. And here's the interesting thing, is taking ourselves to that place. And, and here's what I think they all have in common, is we become totally disoriented. Right? We're just like when that happens, okay, and just get whatever you have to do is oftentimes the first thing we do isn't always what we're reading about in the Psalms. And if, if you've noticed how these writers are, is they show a progression through faith. Right? They show they're, they're raw and they're feeling and they're all of that. And at the same time, they're like embracing this idea of who God is, right? And it's this idea of we become completely disoriented and it's like, what, what on earth do I do next? What on earth? Now, now, here's the thing. If this isn't happening to you, if this hasn't happened to you, what the importance of these passages is, is that we will be with people who are going through this. We will go through these things of disorientation and to go through this and go, okay, let me just help this begin to reorient my thinking. Okay, how long does that take? Does anybody know? A week? Ten days? Fourteen days? Is that plenty? A month? Like a month. I mean, come on, man. Right? It takes as long as it takes. It takes as long as it takes, right, to go through these things. And it's like, hold on a minute. So, Here's the worst part of the Psalms, okay? The worst part is we read them, and we read into them, 
That like, so for instance, Psalm 6, written by David. The picture that can be painted in our head is, you know, David going into his office, feeling sad. And he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write this awesome song. And it's going to get published one day. And we're going, this dude is awesome. These 10 verses, they're so profound. Right? Like we lose our minds in thinking that this was done just like, but, but here's the truth, okay, is how long did it take for David to get to this place? Who knows? I don't know, man. I mean, I'm open to it being immediate, okay? But experientially, I'm kind of like, so this is what I started trying to do, okay? Is I started trying to learn this week, how would you write a song? Okay? And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, I want to just kill it with a Psalm 119. Just 176 verses of pure awesomeness. Okay? And then I start reading it, and it's like the dumbest thing in the world. Okay? But I, what I started doing is just writing out, writing out a prayer, writing out my thoughts, and writing out what I'm thinking, all of that. And then I'm looking at that, and I'm going, well, here was the value of that. That wasn't a psalm to be read, by the way. Okay, it was raw and rough and uncut and all these things. And I started just going back over and over and over and over again. You know what's crazy? Things started to synthesize differently. Like just meditating on that. It brought to mind different things going, oh, hold on a minute. But, but what about this? Well, I'm not there yet. But I, can, I get it. And so there's like this synthesis. Like, is that a word? Synthesization process. <laughs> But there's this like synthesizing, right, of, of, of ourselves. And like I said, I am not speaking from a place of victory in this, okay? I am not like, hey, you should come and see my songbook, okay? That's not where I'm coming from. But I'm starting to understand, man, could this have been what these guys were doing? Could it have started out like so wrong? The, these guys weren't called to be individualistically Jewish either, okay? I mean, they're a part of a community. How much, how many relationships went into this, right? How, how much, and why I say that is because I think when we're disoriented, it takes us time to become reoriented. And it takes a lot of probably like trial and error to get to this place of going, here's where it is. And it's still raw, but it's, and, and so you wonder, did, did David keep this with him? Right? Like, like he has this, and he's like, I'm keeping this with me because I want to read this all the time, every single day. Like the, just writing it wasn't going to do it. But did he do it? Was it meditative? It's poetic. It's a song. I mean, I would guess, okay, that this was something that was, over and over and over again of like, okay, here's what I know to be true. Here's what's raw and difficult. And let me keep like working through this. Okay. That's really difficult. Most of us, I don't think could do that on our own. I don't think we could do this like just by ourselves, but you see this idea of a realignment from the Psalms, this realignment of us, even in Psalm 10, when they're just like, <laughs> just out of the blue in verse 15, break their arm. 
<laughs> I made it through somehow the editorial process. You're like, eh, I'm being synthesized. My, my things are like moving, but I ain't taking out break their arm. Okay. And, and, and here's the thing is, is this was from a faithful person. This was a faithful person writing this. And again, here's what's helpful to me is number one, the realignment. Number two is the, is the meditative part of it, of going through and going, let me follow Psalm 6 through. At first, you get this idea of don't rebuke me, like don't discipline me. Almost this starting point of I'm wrong, like I'm in the wrong right now. Please don't hurt me. I'm weak. My bones are shaken. My whole being is shaken with terror. And rescue me and save me because of your faithful love. Right? That's the money right there. That's, that's money. But you just, to read it and go, okay, I'm good now. Or I read it with a friend. You good now? Y'all good? This is okay, right? No, 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 no. I'm going to need to hear that a lot. I'm weary from my groaning. My eyes are swollen. Verse 9, the Lord has heard my plea for help. Like, what an incredible statement to be made right there. It's in a time of pain and confusion and disorientation to come to a place and go, hold on a minute. This has been heard. Like, God has heard this, and he accepts my prayer. And you see the same thing coming through Psalm 10 is this idea of sending up this request and this petition and just grieving. And he goes into the helpless and trusts himself to you. You're a helper of the fatherless. In verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. How many times do we have to say that before our hearts like soak it up? Like how often does that have to keep going and going? Man, this is agonizingly painful time. Lord, you've heard the desire of the humble and strengthened their hearts. You see, there's this progression from pain and confusion through this, faith, this faithful progression here. And so those were the two things that have been so helpful is this idea of the realignment, like, hey, realign my heart. And what's crazy about that is we're talking in these kind of large areas of sorrow and grief and all these things, but then there's like your everyday stuff. Right? The everyday stuff. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like, it's not the end of the world, but this is just hard, okay? It's like the everyday stuff. And, and I hesitate. This, it's, I just hesitate to even bring that in because when you're in significant pain, you don't want to hear about how somebody's like, my car keeps breaking down. You know, it's kind of like, listen, man, take a number. That's not as bad as my thing. Okay? But... What we're not supposed to do is to get on the competitive market on whose sorrow is worse. Like, that's not helpful. I can't believe, man, Keith has been whining about this kitchen he can't get. I can't even believe that, you know, and, and going, yes, it's superficial. But I wake up scratching my head sometimes going, what on earth is going on, okay? I don't think I need to meditate fully on Psalm 6. I don't think it's an injustice, right? <laughs> 
But it's just those everyday things, I think, that the Psalms teach us to do this. So here's the question. When on earth do you and I have time to be doing all this meditation? <laughs> I mean, right? Everyone here, you got plenty of time at home, right? You're not busy doing anything. Right? This is, I just, this is where I usually pivot into Netflix. I won't do that. Okay? <laughs> I'm just going to place it right there. But I will say when it comes to time, all right, almost nobody has much of it. Right? Because here's the truth is, Royce, you can't call your clients and say, listen, I'm, I'm going to meditate right now, so... I'm not going to be there. Right. right? Steve calls into work. Hey, listen, I really got Psalm 6 on my heart. I'm not going to. It just doesn't work that way, right? I mean, you're, you're at it. So the question is, how on earth do does this, and not just these particular Psalms, but you take the entirety of the Bible that's meant for us to think over and meditate on and, and, and not just obviously leaving it at that, but it's meant to bring us to a place of faith, okay? God, well, where on earth can this happen? All right? And so part of it is we have to kind of figure that out, okay? Here's what I'll tell you for me. If you want like a little tool or something like that, is like these kind of cards are really helpful for me. That I can put something down on this card and I can put it in my pocket and I can pull it out every 30 minutes or hour and a half or two hours or something. It doesn't matter where I am. It can be Publix. I could be over at Publix hanging out with Myra and we're just up there at customer service complaining about the people in the seafood department, right? But um, <laughs> I think we would never do that. But you can do it anywhere, okay? And so part of learning how to do that is Maybe that's something I should even ask my prayer group. How do we do this? How do we do this? Right? This is just one more thing that Christianity is like throwing like on top of my day to do. How do we do this? How does this, as the Bible writers talk about writing it on our heart? Okay? And again, even as we look at this, just to be, just to be clear, this lesson isn't, is not in any way that, I, man, I am an elementary school student in this area, okay? I mean, there's every part of me is like, okay, well, I mean, I can get it. I want it to go along a little faster. I'm uncomfortable when there's sorrow and mourning, and I like to joke a lot, and I can be really immature with those kind of things, and can just accept that, okay? And there's some of us in here, you do a great job with this. Like, you're, you're light years ahead, okay? And that's where we work together. That's where we work together. This, the other side of it is, is really praying that in our communities, in our church here, in our small groups, uh, that God would send people who are truly hurting in this world. I think sometimes what we pray for is like the guy and the girl walk through the door that has it all on strength, and they're going to be like the, the, the greatest evangelists of our time. And they're going to be the most faithful people in the world. We're like, I want more people like that. He said, it's really interesting. Jesus seemed to be like, no, I'm going to go for the orphans and the widows and the people that don't really have it on straight. Uh, the people who are hurting. Right? I mean, again, I oftentimes say, I don't know if Jesus could hang out 
in leadership meetings in America because he would be suggesting things more like, okay, he's going to have preach that. <laughs> okay? Like, who's going to lead songs? Okay? And, and going, maybe the prayer is, I may not be experiencing this, but help me to be used, like in this way. And we're going to finish with this, 2 Corinthians. Turn over that, 2 Corinthians <coughs> chapter 2. Second Corinthians, oh, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter one. Verse three. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so through Christ our comfort also overflows. That's just a beautiful picture of how this is meant to work. So let's pray. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.